the Mac Observer's Mac Geek app number 387 premium for Thursday, March 22nd, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab Premium, the show where you send in your questions to a special premium email address. You send in your tips to the same special premium email address. And we try to provide you some answers and uh, some tips of our own. And together, the goal is to all try and learn a little something new each time around. And I'm excited about the show today, John. Oh, I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. And that guy is. And I'm John Efron here in Fearful, Connecticut. And and just researching the questions for the show here, I, I learned a thing or two. I know. Yeah, it was I, I did too. I'm I'm uh, I'm excited. All right, let's uh let, let's do this. Let's let's get right in. we I'm sure we'll get off on on our uh, patent pending tangents well, here. Well I have one correction. Uh, I want to have a correction, but I think it's relevant. No, well no, I, I mentioned this last time, but I just want to be clear, uh, just because uh, I think you agreed with me. I don't I don't think you were paying attention, which is usually my job. But um, actually we're gonna uh, get uh, are you talking about the iTunes match thing? Because uh, we're going to get there later in the show. Launch services. Oh, launch services. So now we're doing a rata at the beginning. Go ahead. Go. Why not? Tangents it keeps it interesting. You know, but but in the, in the last show we, we were talking about launch services, and I just want to be clear what launch services is because I I, I think we we both of us didn't correctly identify what it is. Launch services you're going to see revealed in OS 10 when you do open with, right? So launch services is the mechanism that associates documents with the app that potentially can launch them, right? Yeah. I think, I think we said it was something else in the, in the last premium show. So okay. I just want to be clear with people. And, it, you know, I looked this up. So first I looked up launch services and I'm like, oh, we didn't get that right, did we? So I so want to correct that. The reason you may want to reset launch services, which you can do with something like Onyx, is that if you go, and I've had this happen before, and you may have also, Dave. Sometimes if you right click or control click on something in the finder, you'll see open with. Right. I'm, wait, I'm just, yeah, you go. Well, what, what happens sometimes is that list may get uh, corrupted and the associate right. uh, uh, and typically what you may see is you may see apps and they're either duplicated or apps that may not exist anymore. And that indicates that your launch services database probably needs rebuilding. And this is where you can use something like Onyx to clear out that database. So again, if you start seeing weird stuff in the open with a contextual menu, that's, that's launch services. Got it. And where it was the last premium show where we misstated that. Is that right? What was the, what was the context? I'm I'm still kind of lost on this one, John. So that's why I'm, I was kind of waiting for you to, (laughs) to tell us what we were doing. Well, let me go to our last premium show. All right. You know what? We'll come back to that. Right? Yeah. Let, yeah. let me look at the list of the things we covered. I'm just not sure you're, what you're, we're you're, correcting. I mean, yes, everything you just said about launch services is, is absolutely correct. And I agree with you. I, but I, I'm not sure what we what we got wrong in the last show. I'm sure we did. And I'd like to correct it. But I don't know what that is. That's what I'm saying. We're totally off the agenda, folks, I, as you can probably tell. <laughs> So I, I'm just not sure where you're going with this. That's all. But I agree. But everything you said is right. And if you have problems with that open with menu on your Mac, uh, Onyx is uh, 100%. I'm with you, my brother. I just don't know why we're talking about it. 
It's good. It's good stuff. It just stuck in my mind that we were talking about it, and and we were talking about it. In the, uh, we were calling something launch services, and and we were, and it was the wrong thing. I, I don't even remember. All right. Well, I'm glad we clarified. <laughs> all right. We both clarified and, and further confused people. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm confused. And you're welcome. <laughs> uh, Roland writes, uh, when I set calendar events on my iPhone, I get different options at different times for alerts. All day events have different alert options than non all day events. I've attached screenshots, which, of course, we've all seen if we've seen iOS. Uh I prefer to have as much granularity as possible so that I can choose the best time to be alerted as possible. If I had to choose between the two options, I would want the all day alert option so that I could be alerted on the morning of the day of an event. Although I like to change the default time. I believe that if I use iCal on my Mac, there is much more granularity to the uh, time frames in which I can set an alert. Do you know why there are two different options? And do you know if there's a way I can always be sure to get one over another? Okay. Uh, yeah, you've noticed something. So if you set this on your Mac and then sync that calendar event to your iOS device, obviously the obviously iOS at its core supports all this granularity for alerts. You can set an alert that's, you know, 14 minutes out or whatever. But there is no way to set that in the iOS default calendar app. However, we've mentioned a piece of software and cool stuff found before called WeekCal which is, uh, I think it's, oh, look, it's uh, either a 99, it's a dollar 99. Uh, and that will allow you very, very fine tuned controls uh, over the alerts right from your iPhone. So you can set this stuff with WeCal. Uh, it talks to the same calendar database that your iOS calendar does. So, you, you know, if you if you happen to open up calendar instead of week cal, you'll still see all the same stuff. The alerts come from the same place. It's just this is week cal is, is how you can set them. I actually really like week cal on my iPhone. It's um, it, it's got some great views and it's really it's much easier to, to get around. So so that's the thing. And then at, at the end of uh, Roland's email, he signed it Ryland, R-I-L-A-N-D, and then followed up with a note saying, sorry, stupid autocorrect. And I thought this was a perfect opportunity to mention a good little autocorrect tip. If you have something like Roland, poor Roland does uh, every time that, that autocorrects every time you type it, the trick is go into settings, go into general, go into keyboard and go to add new shortcut. This is on your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod touch, anything running iOS. And then in his case, he would type Roland for both the phrase and the shortcut there. This is really built to have a shortcut that expands into a phrase. But if you put them both in, it effectively bypasses autocorrect for that. Or uh, a better way of looking at it is that it adds it to your autocorrect dictionary. It doesn't really, but, um, but, but, it, but it effectively it bypasses it. So, uh, so that way, every time he types Roland, it stays Roland and it doesn't, you know, doesn't screw it up on him. So that's uh that's that. Any comments about either one of those, Mr. Braun? No. No. All right. Well, then I guess it's time to move on to the next one. Did you did you figure out why we were talking about launch services? No. Okay. All right. We're 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 we're, we're past that. I, I don't want to listen to our last premium episode while while we're well, doing this that's one. A, that's that a all? good idea. <laughs> yeah, good call. Because I'd have to do that. Or find is there a service out there that um so of course we don't do a word by word transcript of our podcast because we're not really scripted, but, um, you know, I thought there was a service that would attempt to, uh, take certain podcasts and try to, uh, it existed a number of years ago. Um, I'll have to poke around, but somebody pointed us towards it and it did, I don't know if it was a Google offering or it was, it was somebody and 
Yeah, it wasn't somebody terribly else. accurate. But yeah, it would attempt to take any MP3 and, and I guess they would tie into podcast feeds and yeah. try to create a transcript. Yeah. I yeah. Looked at it. The last time I looked at it, though, I mean, what, what it got was... <laughs> Right. Uh, nowhere near what we were talking about. Cause I think we just use all sorts of technical and other sorts of jargon that, that befuddled it. Right. Right. Uh, Ron, uh, said, uh, we had an email exchange with listener Ron and, uh, throughout that exchange, we kind of came up with, he, he was having trouble getting, uh, his, oh, let me, let me look. I didn't want to read the whole question, but oh, he, he, okay. So here was his problem. He said, uh, since the iBooks two update, I cannot put PDFs into iBooks. The save to option does not show iBooks and iBooks does not show up in the tab. Uh, so the solution here is iOS only allows, I believe it's 10 items to show up in that, um, that that saved that that open with option right i mean similar right launch services kind of thing it might even be using launch services who knows but mm-hmm. when you have a file you can do the open with right or open in and uh and it's going to list the apps that can do it but it i believe it limits it to 10 there is a hard limit and if it, again pdfs are the big one if you've got more than 10 apps registered with ios to accept pdfs you will not see all of them in this list. And his problem was that iBooks was not showing up in the list because he had more than 10 others. So uh, what worked for him was to delete iBooks and reinstall it. And that actually put it further up in the list, although it didn't put it at the top. I'm not sure the the methodology that's used here, but, uh, but it sure would be nice to be able to control what goes in that list or at least just say, Hey, you know what? I know I've got a lot of apps on my device. Show me everything. I'll live with it. You know, I can scroll through. So reiterating that, that, uh, that there is that limit and unfortunately no way to solve it. So thanks, Ron. Moving on, John. M- moving on. Okay, good. I'll knock a couple of these out and then I'm sure we'll hit something that's going to slow us down and we'll get, dig deep. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. Oh, oh boy. Uh, Brent writes, I have a 2011 iMac running uh, Lion 1073. I also have the latest version of Parian installed. Uh, for those of you that don't know, and, and this is actually a great little tip, Parian is a series. It's something you install as an all-in-one package, but it is a series of QuickTime, I'll call them plugins. It's, it's, um, I'll tell you what I'll call them. Codex is what you're going to call them, right? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to call them something different because this is what they're going to be called. And maybe I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but well, these things are located in a specific location, two specific locations uh, under OS 10. All right. Hang on. Hang on. I'm going to tell people what they do. Then you can tell them what they call it, what to call them. Yes. It allows you to tr- to view and listen to audio and video files that QuickTime does not support natively. So they're, they're sort of plugins for QuickTime, if you will. Is that what you were going to call them, John? No, keep going. I'll, I'll uh, when okay. we wrap things up, I'm going to give an additional just general okay, fine. here regarding so, this. So, so Parian is a good thing for everybody to install because it'll let you play movies. A lot of, especially a lot of those AVI movies that uh, that happen on like that Windows friends will send you via email. If you've got Parian installed, they just play most of them. So, and without it, they won't play a lot of them. So, it's a good thing to install. So he says, I also have the latest version of Parian installed. On some movie files, the audio drops out after a few seconds of playing. If I fast forward the movie some, the audio will come back for a few and then drop out again. 
Uh, and I see messages in the console saying that there were frames trimmed from the audio queue. And he says, I've reinstalled Perian and I'm running the latest version of everything. Uh, but it doesn't make any difference. Alternatively, these files seem to play just fine in the newest version of VLC. Now, VLC is a, a thing called uh, Video Land Corporation's player. And the VLC player uh, has its own plugins or decoders or whatever you want to call them installed there. And John's going to call them something in a minute. And, uh, and so VLC will play this stuff. But if you, my solution to these things is I run Handbrake. Handbrake is normally the thing that people use to uh, rip DVDs into uh, uh, movie files. But it can also be used to rip existing movie files or convert existing movie files into different formats. And so I run Handbrake on these things and I put them in like, you know, Apple TV or iPad 2 format or something like that. And, uh, and, then, and then they're in a very Apple friendly format and they'll work on all my devices and all of that good stuff. So that's the solution is use Handbrake for this, this alternative purpose. Now, back to Perian. Mr. Braun. I'm going to tell you where these items are located. Okay. And right now, I'm looking on my Snow Leopard machine, but where you're going to want to look are two different places, and they are called components, or at least the last part of the file name is .component. Okay. And there are two places uh, within QuickTime that you're going to find components. One is, like a lot of things here, there's a user level and a, a system level. So the first one here I'm looking is in my user directory, library, QuickTime. And on my Snow Leopard machine, I see two things in here. Uh, AC3movieimport.component. I'm not quite sure who put that there, but it's dated 2011. And then, surprise, Perian.component. Got it. And then I'm looking in the other directory where you're going to find these QuickTime components. And that's in the, uh, off of your, directly off your hard drive, library, QuickTime. And here's where I find... The other one that we talked about, Dave, which is Flip for Mac, which is pretty oh. much, I think, what Microsoft recommended once they threw in the towel and decided not to provide a dedicated uh, WMV player. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's right. Yeah, Flip for Mac is is the the um, is the other one that you need because Perian doesn't do the Windows media files because that comes from Flip for Mac. That's right. So yeah. now what? Uh, and what I see here are three things that are Flip for Mac WMV something something dot component. So that's where those go. Now, the only thing I'm going to offer here is that if you're having trouble with QuickTime, you may want to look in both of these directories. And, you know, I didn't take my own advice here because I think we, we touched on this before, but it's, it's worth mentioning again if you haven't listened to us from day one. Uh, I see a few items in here, Dave. Like, here's a good one. Xvid underscore codec version 0.5.1 component dated 2005. Whoa. Well, in theory, QuickTime wouldn't try to load that unless it loaded a movie in theory that, that had that codec uh, that it was compressed with that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, There's another one that I see that actually I think I had to purchase because Apple abandoned support for this. And this is Apple MPEG 2 codec dot component. Oh, that yeah, that came with like QuickTime Pro or something. Or at one point when they uh, when they offered a certain version of QuickTime, they said, oh, by the way, we're not going to support the MPEG-2 codec, but if you want, you can purchase it for, for a couple of, or you have to install it separately. So I see that in here. That's dated a few years ago. That's dated 2009. But what I'm suggesting is that if you're having issues with QuickTime video playback, you may want to look in either one of these directories and just see if the components in there, if, if there are any any ones that look unusual or they're old and crusty, because I'm, I'm thinking if you're not set up right, you may have them fighting with each other. Yeah, I've got components going back to uh, 2002. Oh, wow. I thought I was bad. I have XVID Delegate. 
DIVX5 on to VP. I have no idea what some of these things are, man. They want to clean them up. Zoomify. Yeah, I'm thinking that's not a bad idea. And these were uh, in the system, uh, the root library QuickTime folder, not my home library QuickTime folder. So, so the right. benefit is they they're available to all the users. And I know I've heard of uh, I know I've heard of people that have had video playback problems, and when they they got rid of some of their old crusty ones here, then all of a sudden everything. You know, so obviously that, Fit for Mac and, and Perian are, you know, current supported products, but some of these like XFID, I don't even know if I even play any XFID format videos. Well, and what you just said there, John, uh, unintentionally perhaps even, but that's actually good advice for Brent is to take a look here because it's possible you're not, if you've got a component, an older version of a component that Perian could in theory replace, it, it's possible QuickTime is picking up on the old component and not using the Parian version. And so maybe that's why you're getting uh, these errors. So clean that stuff out and run only with, you know, Parian and flip for Mac and, and whatever else you've got. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's how I wanted to wrap this up. Nice. I like it. All right. I'm digging in the dirt here. Now, Mark. And take us to gonna- Mark. And you're going to imagine that I'm ready to read what Mark has to say. I, I, I'm going to imagine that you're ready. I'm going to stare out into the yard. I've got the window open here. Oh, gosh. And I'm imagining that you're ready. Do you want me to read it? I got it in front of me. No, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. No, I thought I loaded all of these, but here we are, Mark. All right. Hi, guys. Oh, he avoided it. Okay. I've been involved in developing a charitable project that stores data on a single Mac laptop, a new MacBook Air, via a MySQL database slash Tomcat, which I think is an application server type of thing. The clever thing about this setup is multiple users, iPad, Mac, laptop, PC, laptop, can input data into this database by connecting wirelessly to it via a web page generated by the laptop server. All right. So I guess he's got a the Tomcat server, I guess he's talking about. Yeah. That ties to the database. Okay. Yeah. Since we are in a remote area, rural village in, in uh, Nicaragua. Oh, wow. Uh, there is no internet. Huh. Therefore, we create an ad hoc network that others can use. Uh, airport create li- wireless network. And what he's saying there is that if you go to your airport menu, there's going to be a choice, create li- wireless network. And when you do that, because I did this to troubleshoot this, you, you will get to name the network. I believe you can select the channel and you can also select the security. Oh, I don't think you necessarily get all the, uh, uh, I don't think it includes WPA. I think it's just web. Uh, I think that's right. If you need that or not. I'm not sure why that's limited. Here's the annoying rub. Every time the laptop is put to sleep or turned off, a new IP address is created. Uh, 169.x.x.x. This means each time everybody needs to enter a new address uh, to connect to that server and that, yeah, it's that address slash whatever, whatever, and a web page. Is there not a way to force Lion to use the same IP address via a terminal command? No, but (laughs) have the user use the same name via a script uh, automator redirect or maybe editing a host table. For some reason, I think you guys will enjoy chewing this one over. And yes, we did enjoy chewing on this. So, and you and I tag team on this, Dave, to, to answer this question, yeah, because I, I, I didn't get uh, all the details right here. But yeah, basically, but you, you've got here, them. Yeah, go. Just run. Yeah, yeah you, you, yeah. you helped crystallize this. Yeah. All right. So what is happening here is that when uh, so his machine is set up for DHCP. And how do I know this? Well, if you look in system preferences network and advanced under the TCP IP tab. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's a. a um, 
a choice saying use the HCP. Now what happens, he's firing up the machine. It's not connected to anything. But when you say, you know, create an airport network, uh, what happens is it's going to try to get an IP address. And if it fails, that's when you get a, what a 169 address means, or at least a 169.254 address means is, oh gosh, I couldn't get an address. So I'm going to generate something fairly random, at least the last two digits of this IP address. And DHCP is doing exactly what it should when it fails, is that it should be generating something that's, that's quite random for the last two digits there. Unfortunately, for Mark, that's annoying because you don't want to keep giving a different address to everybody every time. Here's the solution. So if you're a setup, so if you look further in, in the menu that I mentioned here, System Preferences Network Advanced, uh, you're going to see a configure IPv4 uh, menu. And the choice that he probably has selected right now is using DHCP, but there's something sneaky you can do here. There's another selection called using DHCP with manual address. And then what's going to happen, instead of trying to get an address and then generating this random one, you punch in one that you made up yourself within certain conditions. And this is where my esteemed colleague, Mr. Hamilton here, corrected me. So I said, eh, I think you can do 169.anything, anything, anything. No. What you want to do is stay within that 169.254.x.x address. And then I think it'll automatically, though you may have to fill this in as well, is the subdebt mask you want to make. I believe you want to do 255.255.0.0. Is that right, Dave? That, that's right. Yeah. It, the the 169.254 range um, can have anything as the last two octets. So, you know, four, uh, there's four octets, four sets of, of numbers that can and decimal well, range from... Well, almost anything. Yes, right. They can range from z- 1 to 255. Know, that, right. Or 254. Uh, 254. Sorry. Yeah, 0 and 255 have special meaning, so don't use those. That's but right. other than that, you can pick anything that the anything for those two digits that's easy to remember. Yeah. And then consistently, that, that will be the address that it'll generate, and then everybody can connect to that. So, a little DHCP magic there. Yeah, and, and so you can do that. Um, there's a couple things here, though, that I... As we were reading through this again, John, so when you do this on a Mac and you say airport create wireless network, it actually does assign addresses to every other computer. So if your Mac, if you connect to this, you probably get uh, a 10.0.1.x address. And usually what will happen is then that address can be routed out to the Internet. When the computer, when you choose airport create wireless network, though, in addition to turning that on for the other machines that are going to connect to you, it also assigns a second IP address to that local machine of 10.0.1.1. So in theory, they don't have to worry about this 169 address. They could just point their websites at 10.0.1.1 slash whatever slash whatever slash index.html and that in theory uh should work mark because your machine actually has two ip addresses when you're creating a wireless network like this it has one for the outside world which for you is the dhcp address and then it also has one for uh its inside network that it's created and i'm I'm pretty sure that that is always going to be 10.0.1.1 uh when you when you create a network so it, it's not obvious when you look at it. So that's maybe why you, you missed it. Or it's possible you've tried this and for whatever reason, your web server isn't answering on that address. And if that's the case, then everything else we've said is, is the right way to go. 
But um, but yeah, your your Mac gets two IP addresses, one for the Ethernet interface and one for the airport interface um, because it's creating a network on the airport interface. So to do that, it has to give itself an address. Pretty sure. And I hadn't thought yeah. about that until we were doing, going through it. Yeah, now. that sounds that sounds reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's something else to try, but the one six nine thing should always work once you've gone to the manual setting. Right, that's right. Yes, yeah. Although it's still it's routing to get there, strangely enough. But the sure. right, I mean, you know, but we don't have to go with that geeky. But yeah. Uh, all right. So that's that's that one, and then sort of in this in this same, are we, we are good on this one, John. Is that right? Oh, I think we are. There was one other thing, just because I and I and we appreciate this. Don't. Don't take this the wrong way, folks. We know that there are those of you out there that help us when we say something wrong. And so I'll, I'll jump to this particular correction. He asked, is there not a way to force Lion to use the same IP address via a terminal command? Of course there is. Um, it, everything you set in system preferences is actually modifying files that you could modify in the terminal. But, uh, but frankly, you don't want to. It's much easier to do it in the UI. But of course, Unix allows you to set your IP address from the terminal if you need to. So, Oh, would that be IF config? Is that the command? I Honestly, I think so. I've never, I, I've done it on, yeah, it is. Well, IF config shows it to you. Um, will it let me change it? Yes, it would let me change it. Yeah. So I, I think you're right, John. Yes. All right. Um, in, a, in a similar vein, Sam writes he's got uh and then he ends it with a cool stuff found which we'll which we'll jump to uh at the end he says i've ordered the new so i'm going to explain what he's doing in particular and then before we actually answer his question i'm going to explain why this matters to many more people than just someone who's uh i presume sam's sam's an audio engineer so he's got a very specific need but but the question that he's asking can be abstracted out for for all of us so sam writes uh, I've ordered a new iPad, and one of the new things I intend to use it for is with an app called Yamaha Stage Mix to control my Yamaha digital audio console over a Wi-Fi network. This is so useful when you're solo mixing shows. It allows you to wander all over the venue and tune the PA, etc. Uh, the Yamaha console has an Ethernet port on it, and you manually assign it an IP address. You then put this and its MAC address into the Stage Mix app on your iPad, and you're good to go. This, of course, needs a Wi-Fi router to make it work, and I've been trying desperately to get my Airport Express to do this, as it's the perfect form factor to just plug in uh, and add a Cat5 Ethernet cable. Unfortunately, the Ethernet port on the Express is meant to be a WAN port uh, for connecting to the uh, outside network, to the Internet, so the iPad can't see the console. I tried it in bridge mode, and it still wasn't happy. Is there a way of getting the Express to provide this functionality so I can see the console from my MacBook Air and iPad wirelessly? If not, can you recommend a travel router? Okay, so let's let's explain what it is that he's trying to do in a very general sense. He's trying to create a wireless network with with no external access to the Internet, but he wants to bridge his Ethernet devices with his wireless devices. That's the point of this wireless network. He wants all mm -hmm. of his devices, Ethernet and wireless, to talk together. So uh, the Airport Extreme, uh, sorry, Airport Express has but one Ethernet port, as he pointed out. When, when you're in um, standard router mode, default mode, that port is assigned to the outside world 
and your wireless stuff is assigned to the inside world. So, and obviously that doesn't work because it doesn't put everything on the same network. When you put it in bridge mode, that problem is solved. It puts your ethernet port and your wireless stuff all on the same network, which is great, but it does not assign IP addresses. Taking what we learned from the last question and rolling it into this, we know that his uh, MacBook Air and his iPad are going to connect to this, fail to get an address, and then get one of those 169.254 addresses that we talked about previously. So the magic answer is to man, and he has to manually assign an Ethernet or a, an IP address to his uh, Yamaha console or in our abstracted view, his Ethernet device. So assigning that to 169.254.something.something with that aforementioned subnet mask of 255.255.0.0 doesn't matter what you set the router to because you're not routing traffic anyway. That should allow this to work. Did I get that, John? You got it. And I, I confirmed this. I, I hadn't tried this lately, um, but we've had people tell us that it works. But I, I actually took my Airport Express and made it into what is basically a virtual wireless cable in that I plugged it into my airport extreme, put yep. it in bridge mode, connected to it with my MacBook pro. And it handed out a, uh, you know, an IP address as if I was connecting wirelessly because again, it can act as a virtual Wi-Fi right. cable. Right. When I put it in bridge mode and then just for yucks, I also did. Well, I don't think I should mention the double net thing because that's just bad. It's just bad. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to have two routers on your network unless you really know why you would want that. Well, I did do that. You know, as an, as an experiment, I was able to also set it up to, say, share IP address. So what, what it did do is you can have it get an IP address from. Uh, so I had it getting an IP address from Airport Extreme, which was a NAT or non-routable address. And then I had it assign yet another to my MacBook Pro. But as, uh, as we met, and I'm surprised it didn't warn me that I'm doing this because it should know. Or somebody should know somewhere. Maybe the airport extreme is yelling about it. But it, if it sees two non-routable uh, address ranges, it should say, you know what? That's probably not. A, I mean, it works. It, it certainly works. But some things don't work properly if you do this sort of thing. So I'm still able to get to the Internet and, and surf the web and, and email and all that stuff. But certain things don't work. Specifically, I wasn't able to connect to my network devices using Bonjour because Bonjour and this is getting kind of geeky, but Bonjour doesn't like jumping over multiple network segments as far as I know. Right. No, that's yeah, that's not how it works. And then I saw something in my sidebar, which was one of my NAS devices. And when I tried to click on it, it said, yeah, can't, can't do that. If I typed in the IP address directly, it would, huh? But who wants to type? Yeah, it did. No, if I went into the connected server and I said, AFP colon slash slash and the IP address, then it connected. But, but Bonjour, it wouldn't. So just by name, I couldn't do, but by uh, static IP address, I, I was able to. Oh, yeah, right. Because you're, yes, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it's an inter interesting exercise. Now I can put the airport express away. <laughs> cool. Uh, and then Sam has a uh, cool stuff found, and we've got a bunch more cool stuff found at the, the end that we'll talk about, but I will throw this one in here so we don't forget. He says, uh, I've recently changed the way I listen to podcasts. I tried a few podcatcher apps that, apps that you mentioned a while back, Stitcher, Podcaster, etc., but hadn't been completely happy until I stumbled across one called iCatcher. This is a fantastically full-featured for streaming and or downloading and brilliantly reliable. 
Unlike some of the others, it worked flawlessly via Bluetooth audio in the car with working shuttle controls. Doesn't get stuck trying to download something and then using a whole month's data allowance. Uh, and of course, perfectly works with the Mac Geek Cab authenticated premium feed. So there you go. Eyecatcher. That's uh, thanks, Sam. That's that's a good one. And I'm, I'm trying to see it's one ninety nine in the app store. So there you go. Eyecatcher. All right. Uh, you know, iOS 5.1 came out recently, John. And uh, and those of us on iPhone 4S noticed something different that happened when five. Uh, sorry, not five one. Four, yeah, five one. That's what came out. Uh, Bill wrote, he says, I live in Massachusetts and I noticed on my iPhone 4S that I am getting a 4G indicator. I noticed that there was a change in the icon on the phone. Is this accurate? And then he has a second question, which we'll go after in a second. Uh, so, well, you know, let me ask you this, Dave. Okay. Because I've seen people reporting this as well. Yep. Is, and it used to say 3G. Mm-hmm. Now, my assumption is that 3G and 4G are distinct in either getting a little RF geeky here, but distinct in either the frequency or I'm going to call it the modulation scheme that they use and that they're different technologies and that the device will select one or the other, just like it, it selects a, I think in my case, it's called one XRTT and, and in your case, it's called edge. Right. Right. So now I th- so what, so is that indicate, so if it says 4G, are you talking a different on a different frequency and or using a different modulation scheme? Okay. Good question. So uh, the answer is no, we're not talking on a different frequency. It's all the same frequencies that the iPhone four had prior. Uh, However, it is capable of using a different modulation uh, that called HSPA plus, uh, which really, as as you might guess, is an enhancement to a standard called HSPA. And that's about as geeky as we're going to go on that particular thing. Uh, but it is an enhancement to that standard. And and when Schiller announced Phil Schiller announced these four uh, S's, he had a slide up that showed the iPhone four uh, in theory could download as fast as seven point two megabits per second and upload at five point eight megabits per second. And now the iPhone four S could do fourteen point four megabits per second download and say the same five point eight megabits per second up. And that's because of its ability to support HSPA plus. It also, of course, is up to the cell network, not only to provide the technology in the radios, but also to the increased backhaul com- uh, capacity. And AT&T has been doing this and they were wanting some credit for it. So that's where this 4G moniker uh, or label comes from. It is correct in that it is doing something different than the iPhone 4 would be doing in the same spot. But it's not doing anything different than the 4S did before. It's not that iOS 5.1 added any capabilities or speeds. It's the same speeds you would have gotten previously. Apple and AT&T just, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, partnered together to call that 4G. Now, is it 4G? Well, that's sort of the problem is there's no standard of uh, uh, about 4G. So it, th- then then let's go down. Uh, it, you know, people can call things 4G if they want. So now let's let's go after another argument that's happening. Should this even be called HSPA plus? There are those that argue that anything that does not go at least 21 megabits per second 
should not be called HSPA plus compliant. But the HSPA plus standard does not say that it does not dictate a speed minimum. It just says if you use this modulation and it might be at different, um, uh, um, it might, might be different numbers of channels or, or whatever. But, uh, but if you use that modulation, then yes, you can say you're HSPA plus compliant. Huh. So AT&T is saying that, or AT&T and Apple, uh, let's be clear, are saying that we're using HSPA plus and we're calling that 4G and here's your 4G indicator. Have a nice day. So, so let me see if I heard you right. So the, the iOS 5.0 was talking this HSPA plus. Correct. But it was not indicating it in uh, with a different symbol in the top. That's right. So, so now you're saying 3G, but it was talking HSPA plus. Now the 5.1 is also talking HSPA plus potentially, but it says for but it explicitly indicates when it is with this 4G indicator. That's a great way of saying it. Yeah, it explicitly indicates when it is. And they're choosing to do that with an indicator that says 4G. That's right. So okay. it's, it's, I'm with it's you on true. The G thing. Mm-hmm. It's true, but it's also marketing hype, right? I, I mean, it's it, it is doing something different. Versus when it says 3G. So it is correct that it should be saying it's doing something different. But because it because because in my mind, it, in a very rough fashion here. Um, so when I hear 3G and this is based on my experience with both my iDevice and I'll use something like speedtest.net yep. app to, to measure my speeds, as yep. I think a lot of people do. It's a nice app for that. Uh, my assumption is that if something is 3G, uh, you're talking in the single digit megabits per second in general. Right. That's been my experience. Yeah. When you're talking 4G, and I've seen this on the clear device that I have, my assumption is that you have the potential to be in the tens of megabits. Perhaps. Have you seen your clear device in 4G break 10 megabits? Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. That's pretty good. Or, or getting the very close. I think when I was in one city, I think I saw it flirt with nine and 10. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. But I think they say... Uh, the, uh, and then you got the, and then I've, I've seen some people give some really impressive reports with the uh, 4G LTE, which I believe is the Verizon flavor. And that's that, the smoking one. And yeah. that's the one that I've seen definitely clear, er, almost always in the tens of megabits per second, sometimes 10, 20 or more. Yes. Uh, as far as I know, that's the fastest one that we have here in the U.S. right now. I'm I th- sure you're going to pay for it. Think, I think that's right. Well, um, so, so, uh, so let me jump over. Uh, I, I wanted to, you pointed something out when we finished the last show. And, and that was that you, you said, and you, you know, you welcome to say this during the show. You said, you seemed a little off your game. You seemed a little slow. And, uh, and, and it was true. I, it was coming down with a cold and I was constantly fighting with the mute switch and blowing my nose and, and, uh, and very distracted. You sounded kind of distracted. You sounded distracted. Yeah. Exactly. More often than, more often than me. What? <laughs> right. So, uh, so I apologize for that. Um, and, and I noticed, of course, uh, in, in listening back to the show that we talked a lot about the iPad three and, and, and frankly, it was a little bit rambling, but the one thing I didn't give you was kind of my summary on it. So I'll give you my summary and then we can talk about this 4g thing a little bit in terms of the way the LTE and the way that works on the iPad. Um, my summary is, you know, should, if, should you get it right? That's the, uh, that's the question. If you have no iPad or an iPad one without question, I think the iPad three or third generation or whatever the heck we're going to call it is uh is the right move. It's a great upgrade from the iPad one way, way faster. And obviously if you don't have an iPad, then this is the right way to go. Um, 
in fact, my, my daughter had, did I talk about this last time? I, I, like I said, I was sort of in a fog. Did I talk about my daughter buying an iPad, John? No. no. Okay. So she wanted to, she wanted to get an iPad and she figured once the three came out, she would get an iPad two for cheap. And sure enough, they got cheaper. They're a hundred bucks cheaper, 150 bucks cheaper if you can get a refurb. So she found a refurb, 32 gigs, and she was going to do that. And then I said to her, I said, okay, you know, um, your mom and I want to help you with the the purchase price. She'd saved up a, a ton of money and, and, uh, but and she was ready to pay for it on her own. And I said, we want to help you with the purchase price. I said, now, uh, what I would like to do is have you pay the same amount and we'll cover the difference between your refurb iPad two and the same, uh, uh, spec model of an iPad three. And I said, or you can take that 150 bucks and just offset your cost and you get your iPad two. I said, it's your choice. And, uh, and she instantly, she's like, Oh, well I'll do the iPad three. That's, that's a no brainer. And I think that's, I honestly think that was the right choice. Um, and I think that's the right choice for anyone out there. Uh, because, you know, the retina display, the additional uh, RAM, it's got a, a gig of RAM instead of 512 megs. Uh, I, I think that's going to make a difference going forward. Um, you know, maybe not today, but but certainly going forward. So so and that's just my philosophy. If you're going to do something, get the latest and greatest. And you can but, cook your eggs on it. And you can. Well, yeah, right. No. Um, but. If you already have an iPad, two, should you upgrade to the three? And my answer is no. I really, unless you are totally obsessed over the screen and really need that clear screen. And it, there's no question about it. It is way better. But I just haven't seen enough yet to say, yeah, it's worth, you know, scrapping or, or selling your iPad 2 to a place like, you know, Gazelle or Nextworth or whatever, or selling it to, you know, on Craigslist and having to meet some crazy guy in the liquor store parking lot to sell it to him or whatever. Uh, I, I don't think that's worth it. I, I think you just keep <laughs> just keep your iPad too. Uh, you know, what I've seen also um, Amazon. Yeah, that's right. Amazon is selectively buy, and actually, I got I got to look at this because I have a, a camera that I'm thinking of upgrading, and mm. I checked. Well, I bought it from them. I don't, I don't know if I'm entirely thrilled with the amount of money that they're going to offer versus me. Uh, yeah, risking my life selling it to the, something the, like eBay, the or, predator in the liquor store parking lot. <laughs> Well, you know, the last time I upgraded my camera, it was, it was one of my Twitter pals and it worked out great. Sent it oh, that's mail, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, took a personal check. You know, I, I trust my followers yeah. as long as I know where they live. Right. <laughs> and we did. It worked out great. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, that's potentially you'll get the best dollar through one of those. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are risks. Yep. So, so no, there's no reason to upgrade. Uh, no real, no. No definitive, you must do this reason to upgrade from the iPad 2 to the iPad 3. I just don't see it. Um, so, so there you go. So that's my wrap up of that. Now, one thing that I, we talked about, but I, I don't think I made clear. One thing that's really cool about the iPad 3, I got the Verizon version, which does their 4G LTE, super duper hoopty, high speed stuff, is that you can do it as you have always been able to. You can do it. On demand. So you, you buy a month's worth and then you can cancel and, and there's no contract. Okay. Contract free 4G LTE. With the iPad 3, the Verizon version adds that one extra feature of being able to use it as a hotspot. So it now becomes a contract free Wi Fi hotspot with 4G LTE access. That's pretty awesome. And, you know, you're going to pay two, I think 270 to Verizon for just a contract free hotspot that does nothing else. So if you need one of those and you don't need it every month, you know, cause if you've got a contract, you're paying, you know, 50 bucks, maybe 40 bucks a month, 30 bucks a month, whatever on the thing for two years. 
If you don't need that, you only need it a couple of times a year, but you know, you need it. This is, it's, you know, it's a real help in offsetting that price. But anyway, I throw that out there and it is fast. Well, presumably I tried the 4G LTE in Austin, but not on the iPad three, but I talked about that last time. So yeah, well, your views match those of uh, my buddy uh, who I've seen lately, uh, Kenny, I I think he copied you on this too. Yeah. Uh, that was his feedback too. He's one of my buddies who lives over in, uh, in, New- in Joyzy. Yep. And, uh, we go to photo walks, but he, he did the same. I, I think he did the, the two to three upgrade and yeah, his, uh, his, uh, feedback was, uh, pretty much the same. Yeah. There, there's not a compelling reason, uh, to do that. Yeah. I don't regret it in uh, his opinion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Some people want the latest, and, right. you know, exactly like you. And then there's people like me that, that still, uh, haven't jumped on the bandwagon. All right. Well, you can get them cheap now. You can get the twos cheap. So, you know, I may just do that or, or I'm sure I can go to the refurb. I'm, I'm sure the refurb stores. Well, that's it them, for the right? refurb. You get it for, uh, for what? Three, three fifty for the 16 gig, uh, four, I don't, four, I don't need one. Four fifty for the, uh, 32 gig. I don't need one. Of course you do. For what? Uh, you, you'll get one and then you'll figure out what you need it for. <sighs> well, uh, to, to be honest, I, I actually have not operated one at any great length. Yeah. Well, okay. So now rewind whatever two years to when I got my first one, I ordered it mm-hmm. so that we'd have it uh, here at TMO and here, of course here at the geek app to talk about and all that stuff. But I really, I expected it to kind of be the thing that sat on the coffee table and the family sort of messed with, but nobody really claimed. Well, it took about two days, maybe less. And it was like, okay, this thing is mine. There's no question. It's perfect to check emails, surf the web calendar, all, all that stuff. But I was in, I, before I owned one, I was in the same boat as you, John, same mindset rather. I, I, what do I need this thing for? I got more computers than I know what to do with. So that's, you know, we've rehashed that, but you know, well, I got to admit though, because you know, I was trying to get away with using my iPod touch when I was out and about and yeah. uh, I got pretty good Wi-Fi coverage, at least locally. We have optimum mm-hmm. online and they have hotspots uh, pretty much covering most of the town here. So, so you could probably get away with Wi-Fi, yeah, if you just stayed in in Fairfield or stayed in most I, of the major towns or cities here. But I, I gotta have, admit, go when ahead. I'm out and about now, I like it. if if it's available, it'll show up and it'll connect. I mean, it'll connect to the Opta optimum Wi-Fi if it's yeah. available. Otherwise, it'll go to the three G. Yep. But I gotta admit, it's it's nice to have along, especially like you know, the other day I went to jury duty, and that was pretty much my main thing to fiddle with. Once I read through the jury guide once or twice, and <laughs> you know, had already watched the you know, the videos telling you what a great citizen you are and stuff like that. But other than that, it was like, um, yeah, it did great. Now I did bring an extra battery with me because it was definitely running down the thread. I mean, by, you know, halfway through the day, I, I was at about 50% battery. You know, I will say that is one thing about the iPad and, and I've experienced it thus far with the iPad three. And, and it was certainly true with the iPad two. You can use that stupid thing all day long for many days without burning down that battery. Well, it's got a big working battery compared, compared to the iPhone. Right. So, right. So that's why I got a, yeah. So I brought I along the, uh, my daughter you know, got her, sorry, go ahead. Well, I brought a Richard solo 1800. Okay. Which is an 1800 milliamp hour battery, which I think is pretty much equivalent to what you have. So it basically doubled my life. And, you know, it went through the, uh, despite having a laser went through the, uh, the, they didn't bat an eye oh, uh, that's good. when I brought it through the scanner, though, I'm sure if I started, you know, using it in the courtroom, they, they would have. Right. <laughs> right. I, I didn't want to see if lawyers would respond to, to a laser. Right. But yeah, my daughter, I think hers arrived Monday evening and I as of this morning, she had not yet uh, put it on charge. 
and it came. Now, you, you know, know, I have so. I have seen some people report something. So here's a tip, and and uh, we'll link to it in the lovingly handcrafted show notes. But I did see more than one person. So apparently, the iPad three now has a, a really big honking battery compared to the two. Way more milliamp hours. Or That's right. More. Yeah. Um, a lot of people ran into this, and I don't think it's it's unique to the iPad three, but it it is something that you want to keep in mind with pretty much any Apple device, and they do. I think it's apple.com slash iPhone slash battery or slash iPad slash battery or slash battery. But always when you get any Apple device with a battery in it, always calibrate it or uh, they may call it something else. But basically you want to, because some people were complaining about, well, the battery life kind of stinks and I'm getting, you know, it's not reaching a hundred percent were the two things I was seeing. And the advice is do the whole, you know, ramp it up. I believe you want to, I don't know if you want to run it down and then charge it all the way up to maximum and then run it down again. I think that's the recommendation. I, th- I think that's the right move. Yeah. And that's, I'm trying to think if I've charged my, I have charged mine. I did run it all the way down, but it, it took a couple I mean, it, you know, it just takes a couple of days. I don't think about it. Um, it's not like my phone where I, every night I put it on charge this thing. It's like, yeah, whatever. I just put it down and, and uh, you know, um, and now we're totally in tangent land, the Kindle fire, uh, I, you know, I got one of those, obviously, and we messed with it here. And, and, uh, the other day I said to my son, I said, you know, th- frankly, this thing's been sitting on the, on the desk in the house here for like three weeks. And I said, nobody's touching it. I said, if, if you want to, you know, commandeer it as your own and, and, you know, play games on it. I said, it's an Android device. You might have fun with it. And he's like, really? That'd be great. And so I gave it to him and it, it still had like 10% battery left after sitting on the thing for three weeks and, you know, being on Wi-Fi and all of that stuff. So yeah, these tablets, they, they're, they change the way you think about charging your uh, portable electronics and sometimes not necessarily for the better. I've sort of gotten cavalier with the whole concept and my MacBook air suffers from the same thing. I say, oh yeah, it's whatever. I'll just leave it. And then I go to use it. And it's like, oh wait, it's down at like 30% because I've left it for, you know, for a while. So it's what it All right. is. It's a uh, apple.com slash batteries. And then you can click on specific products to get further advice. Cool. All right. All right. Do we want to go we get, to uh, we get. the next question on the list here? Yeah, go ahead. Take it. All right. Do I actually have it in front of me? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting better at this. That's good. Soon right, you won't I, even have to tell us. <laughs> no, but I like to just, uh, I know it convinces me that I'm doing something right. It convinces <laughs> you. All right. So we got from Scott. And it's a, it's a good thing to cover. Hello, Dave, John, and Pilot Pete. Hi, Pilot Pete. I have a really simple question, but it's been annoying me for a few days, and I just can't see an obvious solution. And we're going to give you one. Well, it may not be obvious. Things may be hidden, I think. My question is, how do you map a network share so it appears as a drive slash a volume? I'm running Mac OS 10, 10.7.3. Regards from Scott uh, from across the pond. So I suspect what's happening is uh, things may be hidden from him. Because uh, to me, it is fairly obvious, but my reply to him was as follows. And I think there are two main ways you want to go about this. So one is that the network devices may be hidden. And I've noticed this in Lion uh, in the sidebar. So if you're in the finder and then you go to the view menu, you want to make sure that you're showing the sidebar. That's the one thing is the sidebar may not be appearing. If you don't see the sidebar, you're not going to see your, your network devices and you then cannot mount them. So. But further, there is going to be a shared section in the in the Lion sidebar, but it may be hidden. So hover over shared. And if it says show, click on it and you're going to see your network devices there. 
And then from that point on, you can just click on them and uh, you should be prompted for a username and password. You may want to save it in your keychain and there you go. You're cool. Also from the Finder, there's another way, uh, a second way, which kind of overlaps with this, and this is the Go menu. And if you go to the Go menu, there's going to be Connect to Server. And then you can then enter a server address. Now this gets a, a little cryptic. Um, and there are a few symbols there. So uh, normally what you want to do if you want to type it in manually here is you can either preface it with, um, like I was doing with the prior question, you can preface it with AFP colon slash slash, which is a Apple filing protocol or Apple share volume and yep. then enter, I think either the IP address or the name and that should find it if you know the name of it. Uh, or you can do SMB colon slash slash if it's a windows one. And again, you can, I think enter the network name or the IP. That's right. And then maybe a slash and the share, you know, that's kind of annoying though, but there's also a browse button. And as far as I know, that brings you to the same place that the, uh, uh, of things in the shared section is that the browse button will show you, uh, all the network file servers available. And then there's also a, you're going to see a little clock. And what is that? Well, that's recently accessed file servers. And if you click on that, if you've accessed one at any point in time recently, uh, it'll let, it'll populate that field for you. And then there's also a little plus sign, which will make it a favorite. And that'll appear in this dialogue as well. And then the other thing, this is also, uh, again, I, I, I think when I first set up Lion, I was missing this and I was wondering why. The thing is you may not see your network shares on your desktop, which at least, I like seeing them <laughs> or drives or a number of things. And the thing is, this is an option within the finder as well. So if you go to finder preferences general, you will see a uh, selection show these items on the desktop. And there's going to be a bunch of things there. I think it's, uh, I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's hard drives, network volumes, and, and a few other things. And it may be that when you install lion, they were turned off. So you would not see them even if you did mount them. So think I've covered pretty much every way you can get to your network volumes and see them. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to his initial question and everything you said was right, by the way, I have no, uh, nothing to add to, to that, but jumping back to his initial question, he says, how do you map a network share? So it appears as a drive or volume. Um, it may be that he's looking to have these shares appear in his devices list as drives as additional drives because it sounds like that's what he's asking and that does not typically happen by default when you map when you attach to one in any of the aforementioned ways but there is a trick uh what you do is you go to uh you find the 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 volume and you you open it up in the finder so you know you go to shared you find the computer you click on the computer then you click on the the share name which uh which and and double or double click on it and open it up. And so now it'll be open like a folder and uh, you'll see the contents of the folder. And then at the very top of the window, you see a little icon for the, for the share and then the name of the share, whatever it is, grab that little icon and drag it over into the devices section in the sidebar of your finder, completely unintuitive. There's no other way to do this that I know of. It's not documented in the uh, in the help anywhere. But if you do this now, you can have an icon over there in devices that's equal to your hard drive for all of the network shares or any of the network shares that you connect to. And if you eject it, um, which then, of course, uh, disconnects from it, the next time you mount it, it will appear up here. Uh, so it, it's something that will persist from from connection to connection. So that's pretty cool. Uh, 
the the other thing that I'll add is if there's a folder within one of your shares that you want regular access to, you can put that in places or favorites, depending on whether you're in Snow Leopard or Lion. And uh, and you again, you just drag that folder over and and you're good to go. So so that little trick of dragging from the title bar to get things into the dev- devices list is I, I don't know why they I don't know why it still exists if they're not going to bother to. I love it. I don't want it to go away, but it's just one of those weird things. That's like, you know, you got to know the secret handshake to do it. Are you, are you trying it now, John? Is that where the silence comes from? No. Okay. No, I'm just wondering what the secret handshake is. Well, that's the secret handshake is you have to know to grab the little icon and drag it over. No, I meant, the secret hand. Uh, like oh, the physical. Like, like our real secret handshake. Well, we can't talk about that. We can't even <laughs> we it, we can't talk about it if it were to even exist. <laughs> like Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, I guess. Um, all right. You know what? Let's uh, let's jump to let's go to where are we here? Time wise. Yeah. Let's OK. Let's go to Michael here. And uh we always have more than we know what to do with. So, so, uh, Michael wrote, do you want to, you want to read this one, John? Wait, where are we? All right. Michael, I got it. Michael. So it, M- Michael wrote us other oh, areas, but yeah, you know, you're, you're ready. Yeah, go. I, I got it. So we, we've been talking about, and we talked about it in the last two shows about, uh, the read, read receipts for email. Well, Michael found an interesting service and it's, it's at readnotify.com. And you send uh, your email via this service and it kind of uh, takes your email, it reforms it. And what happened was he sent it to us at, at premium at MacGeekab.com, of course. And then John opened it up at, to read it. And then Michael followed up and said, uh, yep, here's when you opened up my email. Here's uh, the time that you read it. Here's the IP address that you're at. Here's where that IP address is, you know, geographically and had all this information uh, about about John. How, how did he know? Yeah. And, and it, it's cool. This read notify thing. Like I said, it reforms the email and puts a, a little it turns it into it changes it from a text email. If it was a text email into an HTML email. And by doing so, it has the ability to hide a little tracking bug in there. And so when John opened the email, it opened it displayed an image for John, but John didn't see the image because it was a tiny little one by one pixel empty image. But by loading that image from read notifies servers, John immediately identified himself to them and they were able to figure everything else out. So, so I thought that was sneaky. Yeah, it is sneaky, but you know, the thing is, and it, it, it is sneaky period. However, if this kind of thing freaks you out, uh, folks, then don't use email ever again because read notify is not the only place that's doing this. Almost every email you open, it's not just from one person to another, any kind of mailing list you're on or, uh, or marketing stuff you get spam or, or requested stuff knows has all this stuff in it. They know when you've opened it, they know when you've clicked it, they track open rates. I mean, all kinds of stuff and they know, or at least have the ability to know who you are. So, oh, and I remember at a, at a prior Macworld, I, I think I wrote a small article and it looked like a really neat piece of software. I think it was a direct mail Mac is one Mac specific package that yep. will do this. It helps manages your mailing lists and it'll put these in and show you, you know, report, you know, how many people opened it, where they located. Uh, and I guess, you know, one way of avoiding this is 
not being connected to the internet when you open your emails because you won't, uh, or, or I believe we discussed this in the past. That's yeah. potentially one way to avoid this because then you will not be connecting to this, uh, what they call a web bug or this hidden little invisible graphic. You, you will not be loading it. Well, mail, mail has a setting. You can go into. Oh, right, right, right. Right. Mail preferences viewing and turn off uh, display remote images in HTML messages. And that is exactly this. Uh, so if, if John had that turned off, then it would not have tried to load this image, at least not without telling, without John prompting it to. And, uh, and so you can do that. So if this, if this freaks out, yeah, you can do that. And, and presumably that'll protect you from most of this stuff. So, yeah. so how did we see it? Of course. Well, the way we saw it is if you go in a mail app and you go to the view menu and message, and this is how I saw it because I, I suspected this is how he found this out, but I just want to verify. Sure. So I went to view message raw source and i saw the email message and at the very end of it and i think you, you saw the same thing dave we saw some html and i think it began with you know div which is a divider and then it said hidden and then it gave the and and basically there was a url that went back to the servers of this company and we saw something that jeff yep. so concluded yes that's what's happening it's loading a graphic that we can't see and that's how they know and that's how they know cool uh all right larry uh writes uh, Larry was the one that we were talking about, uh, in a previous, in the last premium show, actually, uh, about iTunes match. And I said, I think it was me that said it. One of us, I, I think it was, I said th that iTunes match gives you 25 gigs of space. It doesn't, it gives you 25,000 songs uploaded. Uh, if your songs match, then they don't count against your limit. Uh, if your songs match stuff that Apple already has, but if you have to upload, you can upload 25,000 songs. So I wanted to make that correction. Uh, sorry about that. As for, and then Larry followed up and he said, uh, my question is what happens? Is that 25,000 song limit revolving? If my musical taste change and I have a song that I don't want anymore, is it forever stored up there if I had to upload it? And do I never regain that slot for that particular song back to use for another one? Can it be recycled? And the answer is yes, it can be recycled. In fact, there's an Apple support article that explains exactly how to do it, but it's pretty simple. When you, uh, in your iTunes library, you right click on the song and you choose delete. Now that's normally going to delete it from your library, but now there's a new checkbox in the delete dialogue that says delete from iCloud. Really, it should say delete from iTunes match if you asked me, but hey, whatever. So, uh, so you choose delete from iCloud and then that does it deletes it from there and frees up the slot for you. So there you go. Um, that's, I think that's, I think that's all I have to say on that, John. Anything from you? Hmm. I don't use it. Ah, all right. Um, okay. We got uh, a couple, three cool stuff founds here, unless you've got some on your list too, John. Do you have any? Oh, I haven't tried it yet, but I ordered, um, I'll get back to you on it. No, I, I, okay. I had some, uh, I had some mail come, but no, I ordered a eight X, uh, Telephoto lens for my iPhone. Cool. Uh, you know, I've, I've got, I've been starting to test out iPad cases um, and I'm not mm. really ready to talk about them all yet because they're just starting to trickle in. But, mm. but I, um, I, I have the, I like the folio cases, the ones that have a nice tight back and a, but yet protect the back, but snap on and they're, they're very thin and then have a cover over the front that you can flip around and use as a, uh, as a, as a stand. 
And, uh, and I've been using the Marware uh, micro shell folio for the last uh, pretty much all week. And I like this one. It, it suffers from the problem that a lot of the uh, first wave of third party cases are suffering from. And, and Marware, like, like pretty much all the other manufacturers, but certainly Marware is one of them, is replacing them to fix this. The, the uh, magnetic latching that happens with the, it started with the iPad 2 and now exists in the iPad 3, also has the ability to sleep the screen and wake the screen. That does not work with this case. And it's because they reversed a couple of the magnets still works with Apple's uh, shield, but not with the, uh, a lot of the third party ones. So, so they're sending out another one of these, but, um, but I, but other than that, I like it. It's got a nice, you know, nice little thing, but, but be aware of that when you get, uh, when you get a case for your iPad three, good stuff, but you know, Cause the three is physically a little larger, right? It is a little thicker. It is. It okay. is okay. So a hard case for the two probably won't work, but a flexible case probably will. Exactly right. That's and that's been my experience. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Uh, so jumping into cool stuff found from you folks, Felix writes: I have an 18 month old who loves to pound my computer keyboard and grab the mouse anytime he is in range of any of our computers. <laughs> To save any potential computer-related Armageddon that might ensue as a result of this behavior, I have found the app Baby Proof. It's in the Mac App Store for 99 cents. This is a great app, which I launch using LaunchBar as soon as my little guy is in range of my keyboard, and it immediately launches an app and disables the keyboard and mouse until you either type Q-U-I-T or another uh, user-specified key command. Uh, the instructions for that appears on the screen. So it's, it's perfect for the kids that can't read. Uh, but if they can read, chances are they're not, uh, they're not just going to bang aimlessly on the keyboard. Uh, so he says now if only someone could do the same for the iPad without having to jailbreak it. Yeah, well, it's not going to happen. Just like we're not going to get a Dvorak keyboard option for the iPad anytime soon. So no, why not? Because um, Apple can't, doesn't just, do that anymore. Can you just? Oh, I'm sure you can just replace it. There, there's, there's got to be a file somewhere there that can let you remap the keyboard. I'm sure there is, but yeah, you would have to jailbreak hard it. Enough. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm trying to think. Is there? Uh, we get to that one. We get to this one. Okay. So, uh, listener Sam, and I might even be the same Sam. He said, uh, just printing something from Excel. And in the print dialog, where you see a mini preview of the page you're about to print, did you know that you can zoom in with the trackpad's pinch function? No, neither did I. I've always used the PDF to preview to check, but this is much easier. Just intuitively did it as I wanted to see how much of the worksheet was going to fit onto the page. Perfect. That's pretty cool. It does not seem to be an OS Y no. thing, though. It's- no, I verified that because I tried okay. other apps. And yeah, it didn't work. But uh, so apparently Microsoft uh, cust. Yeah. Or, or apparently the OS allows you to customize what that thing does. And yeah. Microsoft took advantage of it and Apple didn't. And Apple did. Yeah, that's right. It'd be nice to see, though. It's a cool thing when you do it. Yeah. All right. And lastly, in our cool stuff found for today, and probably the last thing that we'll talk about for today is Karsten. Uh, he says a while back, you covered how to cut and paint how the. A while back, you covered how to cut and paste was missing in Finder. Okay. Uh, I came across this hidden option in Lion and wanted to share the finding with my fellow premium geeks. 
Currently, we either use Forklift Pathfinder or Total Finder to accomplish this task, or we arrange two Finder windows next to each other and drag the file and hold the Option key or Command key or some weird combo. Anyway, try to open the Finder and copy a file you wish to move. So you can copy and paste. That's a pretty obvious thing, at least now. Uh, you highlight something in the Finder, you choose Copy from the Edit menu, and then you can go somewhere and paste. But that makes a duplicate of it. It does not move it. Uh he says, but if you copy something and then navigate to another directory, instead of just doing uh, edit paste, if you go to edit and hold down the option key, it changes to move. And sure enough, moves the file as opposed to just copying it. So thanks, Karsten. That's pretty good stuff, man. Anything huh. else? No. Nothing. Nothing from you today, huh? Or nothing additional. All right. Uh-huh. Nothing additional. No. Yeah, I don't have anything either. I'm trying to think. Got nothing? I probably do. I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that shows up all the time. I want to play with my lens. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right, it's well, out let's... there. It's out there. there no, there was a uh, Richard Solo. I like these guys around there. Apparently, it's the same kit that you can find elsewhere. But no, I saw a special for a 8X uh, telephoto lens for the iPhone. It includes a case and a magnet. Yep. And it was 15% off. And I'm like, it's like under 30 bucks. I'm like, cool. Okay. Got to do it. Yeah, because that's gotta... my one gripe with the iPhone or any any phone in any uh, any camera in any smartphone. Yep, is you really don't have much choice as to the field of view. What you get is what you get. That's right. Though we've been seeing more and more, and uh, I believe we, uh, I believe someone on our staff reviewed another third party uh, lens enhancement. Yeah, Jeff Jeff did one that he found at MacWorld, and I can't think of the name of it. But you're right. Olio. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Was it? Was that it? Yeah, yep. and I think that was that was three different lenses too. I think it was a macro, a fisheye, and, uh, yep. and a wide. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's the. So I'm gonna go play with that because it's just a beautiful day out. It's crazy. Yeah, it's colder there than it is here. It's we we're, we're pushing we're probably in uh, the high no, I'm, 80s. I'm lo- well, I'm looking at my computer here, and my, well, my computer says it's 71, but that's another part of town by the uh, the water here. It's, uh, but no, as far as I know, we're in the high 60s. Ah, which yeah, it's supposed, to, it's supposed to cool off here too. I think that same system is sort of pushing its way up. All yeah. right, uh, just in case you didn't know how to contact us. Uh, Whereas everyone gets to use the feedback at MacGeekGab.com address, all of you that are premium subscribers get to use the premium at MacGeekGab.com address to contact us. I'm almost positive, Dave. I'm suffering from spring fever here, I think. (laughs) I'm almost positive that you said premium at MacGeekGab.com. You know it. I said premium at MacGeekGab.com. And that's the one. That leads me. uh, Well, it's the one. uh, Go on. I'm sorry. Oh, and that's the one to use to send us tips, send us questions, send us all that good stuff. If you have a problem with your premium subscription, and only if you have a problem with your premium subscription, please email customer support at MacGeekab.com. That will that gets to John and I, but it also gets to Adam, and he's the one that can really facilitate a lot of those answers um, with uh, with the with the stuff. So that's that's uh, those are the and email addresses. That's what I was going to say, Dave, oh, okay. because I, I've noticed as of late. While Dave and I both certainly read uh, every single email that comes into premium at MacGeekGab.com, yep. when I see them related to either account or login or, or issues, I forward them to customer service at MacGeekGab.com because that's where they belong. So so it, it helps all of us. So please yep. use customer service because... Customer support. Customer support. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Maybe you're gonna make me. You're gonna service. make me have to go create an alias. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. All right, let me well, put it on my list. Well, leave it as customer support. It, we have one that we publicize, but I will make an alias in case somebody forgets. Oh, it's not that hard. It takes a few minutes, right? Right, but we don't want to publicize multiple addresses for the same thing. No, I understand you get what I'm saying. Oh, hey, look at that. There I was. I didn't catch the. Uh, I didn't catch the band. So there, they're back now. Woo, yay! Uh, I need to just, you know, it's been what six years since I built this file. I clearly need to make that vamp longer because we talk longer at the end. So I, I just can you just do a uh, copy paste 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 in your favorite editor? In my favorite audio editor? Oh wait, can't you just yes? Can't you just tag it as a loop? Well, I, I could if I was playing it in a piece of software that let me play audio as a loop. Yes. But oh. I'm not. I and I could. I could move to I I just use this I use Ojimbo for this stuff because it's just always open. But um but I certainly could use something like um I can't think of the name of it. There's the, that that DJ software that's perfect for this. Okay. Mac Metacart or something. I don't know. Sound uh Yeah, whatever. There's a there's a bunch oh, of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, 206-666-GEEK is the number for everybody to call. And John, geek is? 4335. <laughs> okay. Uh, I keep, see, I keep mixing it up. com is where you'll find those show notes John always does for us and for you. Uh, you can Skype us at MacGeekGab. What else do we have there, John? Oh, the iTunes comments, of course. You can rate us. You can comment on on, uh, any aspect of the show. Uh, Other ways to interact or reach us. uh, There is Twitter at Twitter.com. And after Twitter.com slash, you can go to MacGeekGab where you can see when shows are published and also when the show notes are published uh, and interact with us. If you got tiny little 140 character or less questions or points. Uh, I am John F. Braun. That is my personal feed. Dave Hamilton is Dave's personal feed. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete's personal feed. And then, of course, Mac Observer, if you would like to see articles that we are generating on pretty much a constant basis throughout the day and night. That's right. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab is uh, yet another place to interact with us. We've got questions. People people can contribute and all of that good stuff. And, uh, and the MGG forums over at Mac Observer. So lots of places to talk, meet up with fellow MacGeekGabers. And, uh, and, of course, interact with John and I as well. All right. We would like to thank Michael Johnston from uh, the We Have Communicators podcast, where he talks with uh, Adam Christensen and Jeff Gamut pretty regularly and some other special guests, uh, as he sees fit, about all things iPhone and iPad and iOS and, and all of that good stuff. So, And he converts this to AAC for us, too. So he's a busy man, and we appreciate all of his efforts. Thank you, Michael. And, of course, Cashfly for the bandwidth that they so uh, graciously provide for us and you to make sure that the show gets uh, gets straight to you, though. I think that's it. We'll be back on Monday with uh, Mac Geek of 38.8. Do you like how I did that, John? Any last parting words you'd like to share with them, John? Yeah. Well, in the spirit of the season. No, it's not. Well, just don't get caught. Made up.